This hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned B.C. company helping local business since 1892. In case you missed hour one, Yannick Hansen, always with the best insight of any analyst here in Vancouver on your Vancouver Canucks, joins us every Friday. So you can check that out from the opening hour of the show. Also, how this weekend, if at all, shapes what the Canucks will do come Monday for the trade deadline. Now, the big news that we've been hearing about today, or rumor mill, is Connor Garland sat and a link to the LA Kings. But uh, 32 Thoughts, the podcast with Elliot Friedman, and Jeff Merrick, they went through uh, each team and quickly ran down some of the priorities of each team. There was a couple of interesting links for the Columbus Blue Jackets and St. Louis Blues to the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, some interesting thoughts as far as Columbus and St. Louis are teams looking for players with some term, looking for players they can keep, not just rentals. And, you know, the Canucks' key players are not rentals, right? So could there be some conversations or a potential match there? Because, like Elliot mentioned, the Blues are a team that would be willing to sign a guy they acquire, too, to an extension or something. So you start looking at the Canucks' situations there. For for instance, was the guy like Brock Besser. So uh, sometimes when you see these deals happen, if they do happen, it's not always the teams you always hear. So it was interesting to kind of hear Columbus and St. Louis to come up. And, you know, if something happens, maybe... We shouldn't be surprised that it's a team that's not being mentioned as much. And with the Canucks situation so fluid, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for them to make some kind of a hockey trade uh, at the deadline. Or certainly when you look at the Mm -hmm. summer, uh, St. Louis has done that type of a deal with, uh, you know, guys like Justin Falk and even uh, Marco Scandella, who, um, you know, they signed to an extension after getting him at uh, in, a, in a different trade from the Montreal Canadiens. So a lot of different ways the Canucks can go and potentially more suitors uh, than the ones we've heard most often for some of their potentially available players. Let's bring in our next guest of The Athletic covering the Calgary Flames. It is Haley Salvian. Thanks for this, Haley. How are you? Good. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for making time. Uh before we get into the Flames, can I just uh, – how much fun has it been covering Daryl Sutter this year? <laughs> uh, you know what? I, it, it's a lot of fun. I think his sound clips are always funny. but And it sounds so cheesy. I said this to someone the other day, and I was like, oh, God. It, it sounds so corny, but I – in between the funny sound bites, like, you know, this is a really smart coach. It's a really smart hockey mind, and I feel like – it's been a lot of fun, but I also feel like you just kind of learn a lot when you decipher some of the things that he says. It's been it's been a lot of fun, and I think it's been a really unique experience covering someone like Daryl for sure. Well, and you know what we oftentimes get, or what we oftentimes listen to, are the quick sound bites, the funny clips, or whatever it is. But you know, talking to some people that cover the team and have covered Daryl in the past elsewhere, he can be introspective and give you stuff if you're there covering the team day to day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like, like I said, I feel like I've learned a lot in covering this hockey team from that kind of stuff that you get from Daryl. Yeah, sometimes I feel like you can tell um, typically on a game day is not the day to maybe try to go with the in-depth, you know, outside the box kind of conversations. Um, but I think you can always tell right away if you're going to get a lot of interesting stuff out of Daryl. And that's kind of when you start 
going into, you know, the bigger picture stuff because you know you're going to get something good again. You know, he's a, I mean, clearly when you look at some of the things he's done with the Flames as a whole, but also with the individual pieces up and down the lineup, um, he's obviously a very good coach, but definitely it's fun. And, and I think, again, you, you just learn a lot. Again, it sounds so corny, but I always think it's, um, you know, this is my third NHL season. Again, I just think it's um, it's been a really unique experience, and, and you just kind of take bits and pieces of, of these media availabilities every day and just apply it to kind of what you already know about the game and, and just learn kind of been my approach being a you know a younger reporter in this game for sure yeah he kind of feels like uh, the nhl's version of bill belichick where like <laughs> you know if you ask a certain question he might be very short with you and not give much uh, thought to it but if you ask uh, uh the right question and he might give you a, a, a ton and that's uh yeah uh, kind of what we've seen with daryl sutter all about the timing too you'll know you'll yeah know if the time is right <laughs> you will know within the first couple questions first 60 seconds if it gets to that point if that's the if this is the day to do these kind of things you'll know <laughs> there's so, been some media veils that have been about 30 seconds 45 <laughs> seconds on the road my 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 old editor um he he does a lot he used to cover the kings and he said when you're on the road and if daryl had his uh bag with him like he had a suitcase and everything ready he was like don't even try <laughs> daryl has his bag and his coat don't even don't even go there it's, it's gonna be a quick one yeah you know you know the kind of answers you'll, you'll get from daryl in that yeah. moment <laughs> um so the the flames going with markstrom tonight now us here in vancouver thinking I bet Markstrom wants a mulligan for uh, what happened last time around. Is is he going to get the opportunity to play both halves of the back-to-back? It's interesting because we've seen that happen in the past. I think more specifically if Daryl thinks that Markstrom hasn't maybe done enough or he hasn't played up to speed or if he had um, a light evening, Daryl will give him both halves of the back-to-back. But we've also seen Daryl give Dan Villard both halves of the back-to-back, and we've seen um, them split in the past. We've seen... Dan be given the harder matchup and, and Markstrom be given the easier one. So I think it depends. Honestly, I, I I would love to try to give you the answer of what I think is going to happen. But again, just talking about <laughs> covering Daryl Sutter, I think I've kind of learned to not be surprised by anything anymore. Um, you know, Dan Vladar has played most of his starts this season on the road. I'm inclined to think that Dan Vladar is going to start in Vancouver. Um, he started on the back you know, it's kind of one of those things where I was talking to a former backup goalie in the league once um, for a story I was writing, and he said, look for coaches to give their backup goalies things that could be considered a quote-unquote scheduled loss or a hard-to-win game. Because if the team wins while your backup goalie stood on his head and he had a great performance, the guys played good in front of him and you win the game. If you lose, well, it's your backup. We're on a back-to-back. That was going to be a tough one anyways. Um, so I'm inclined to think that Dan Vladar is going to get the start, but again, uh, I feel like Daryl's a wild card and, you know, Mark Shermois wants to play. Maybe he wants to take the mulligan. Maybe he wants a chance to come back from that and play better in Vancouver. Um, but uh, my gut says it's going to be Vladar, but again, I could be completely wrong and I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're right. I mean, with, with Daryl, we'll see what happens. And one thing he did mention, what was it? Uh, I think it was last week. He said, uh, you don't want to be playing Colorado as a wildcard team. Cause that's a waste of eight days. You're in and you're out. And maybe that's kind of, he's trying to set the standard and bar really high. I mean, they're at 81 points. They're not likely to be a wildcard team at this stage, but what does it say yeah. about the standard they're trying to set with, with how aggressive they've been in the trade deadline, but also what they were 
aspiring to be? I mean, this is from the outside looking in. I think, and I want to see if I'm right on this, is, is Daryl trying to set that standard of we're not trying to, you know, maybe beat the Colorado Avalanche or face them early. We want to be like these teams. Like We want to be one of the top teams in the league. And is that maybe the, the mindset shift that he's trying to put? Definitely. And I think it's been really interesting to kind of see the way that the approach has shifted throughout the year. At the beginning of the season, um, they had a pretty good start. Then there was a bit of a tricky part in the middle. Um, and I call it a tricky part. I think it was like a five game win streak. And everyone's like, this is, these are the flames we know and love. Here we go. Here we go again. And, you know, Daryl was very quick to kind of temper expectations. And he always has a way of flipping it back to the media and being like, you guys are here talking about, you know, the playoffs already. It's, you know, second month of season, we're on a losing streak. It's it's still a process with this team. He's talked about this iteration of the Calgary Flames as being a process all season, um, and they're still very much working through that. It's making this team play the right way, play playoff hockey in the regular season. That's been the message from the start. Um, I think that has changed a little bit from, well, we'll pump the brakes. We haven't made the playoffs yet, and he will still say that. Um, you know, people were talking uh, the other day after the yarn cross you know what message what message does this send to the group when the general manager is investing in his team this way he's like i think it's pretty obvious it means make the playoffs so we can actually use these players when it matters so uh he's not getting ahead of himself um i don't think he's going to allow the team to get ahead of himself i think if he were to ask you know what the ultimate goal is the goal isn't to win the pacific division the goal isn't to do anything that matters in the regular season um that's from where they finish in the standings to, you know, the Jack Adams buzz that he's getting. Somebody asked him about that the other day, and he's like, you guys should know me better. I don't care about regular season awards. And then he made a comment about how Jack Adams was kind of a mean old man. Um, <laughs> that's another one of those examples of you never know what you're going to get when you're asking Daryl these questions. But, you know, I think he's gone from kind of tempering expectations while also making sure that, you know, this isn't a team that he wants to be successful in the regular season. This is a group that he wants to make a deep playoff run. We're not at that point yet, but I think he's just going to continue to hammer those details and the style of play that they need to do. Um, And yeah, I think obviously when you, at the end of the day, the goal isn't, like I said, to come out of the regular season. It's, It's not to beat the Colorado Avalanche on a Saturday afternoon with Dan Vladar playing on his head like they did two weeks ago the goal is to beat them when it matters but they have to get through the rest of the regular season first they have to get through the first second round to get to the conference final and that's kind of been the message it's not let's look ahead to the conference final that we all fans and media want because those games are so fun it's let's get through this first and, and keep playing the way that we need to to get there I know uh, Hakan Lube is still the most beloved Swede in, in Flames history, but uh, <laughs> you know they've got quite the Swedish contingent there now, and now add uh, Kali Yarncroke to the group. What do you make of the uh, addition of, of Kali Yarncroke to this team? You know, I, it was one of those moments where I, I, I felt very smart because you look at you look at what this team needs and you look at the holes in the roster and, and, you know, I kind of, a lot of us in this market, it's not just me, everyone kind of identified, you know, this is a group that needs a third line center. Um, And I think he kind of fits that mold. We'll see if he actually ends up playing that role consistently throughout the season. He is going to be in that three C spot to start the game today between Tyler Toffoli and Andrew Mangiapane, and I think that's kind of the perfect addition. You know, the Flames have the most productive top line in the NHL. They have 53 
five on five goals for um, that's, you know, more than the often talked about Austin Matthews and Michael Bunting, Mitch Marner line. It's, you know, 20 more than the, the one after that. So they've got a really productive top line. They're kind of playing with this shutdown line of Backlund, mm-hmm. Coleman and Trevor Lewis. And then in that third line, you kind of have this spot where you're like, okay, we've got to fully in Manjupani. They can score. This is a great sheltered offensive line that we can throw out in our middle six. Um, but who's going to center that line? Mm-hmm. Dylan Dubé hasn't been able to do that consistently. Sean Monaghan hasn't been able to do that consistently. Adam Rizicka was not able to do that consistently, and he got waived to, to make the team cap compliant. And so I think the idea is that Kelly Yarncroke will be the one who makes that line go. They'll play, you know, sheltered minutes behind the top line. They won't be the defensive specialist behind that, you know, second line, third line, whatever you want to call it, and they'll kind of be able to go out and, and be – that line that can give you some secondary scoring on a consistent basis. Um, you know, Tyler Toffoli can do that. Manjupani has 30 goals. They just need somebody who can keep up the pace and get them the puck and play good straight line hockey up the middle. And I think Yarn Croak could be the perfect fit there. We'll see how that works. He played mostly on the wing in Seattle this year. Um, but part of what makes him an attractive player is how versatile he is. He can play both wings and he can play up the middle. We have to ask you about Johnny Goudreau and his status. I think the conversation has completely changed about is he staying or going. It's more about how much is he going to get, and he's having a sensational season with 79 yeah. points already so far. But when we look at what Tomas Hurdle got in the season um, Johnny Goudreau is putting together, like what are some of these mm-hmm. figures you think going to look like for his next contract? Ugh, I mean, it's tough. I think, you know, my colleague Dom Lustrician, one of the things that he kind of looked into was in terms of just great statistical profile we're not talking about their age you know the regression curve etc cetera, etc cetera. but like straight statistical profile you're looking at an Artemi Panarin type thing I'm not suggesting that Johnny Gaudreau is going to go and make what is it 11 million dollars on a long-term contract when he's already 27 28 years old um, but in terms of the the numbers that he's putting up this year um, he he's he's gonna get himself a pretty big ticket I think the Flames have a ton of contracts that they need to negotiate and get done this off season. They continue to say that they're going to get it all done. Um, I think part of, I don't want to call it a concern. I just think in a hard cap league on a team that's playing well with players who deserve to be paid for how good they're playing, which is we're talking about Matthew Kachuk, Andrew Mondrupani, Oliver Shillington, and Johnny Gaudreau. Like those guys are all going to, they're all going to get, they're going to deserve good contracts based on the way that they're playing. And part of me wonders who's going to get the squeeze, who can they afford to squeeze um, and who's going to accept that, or are they going to go somewhere else? I'm not suggesting that, you know, I think Johnny Gaudreau is going to price himself out or leave. I just think that's part of the bigger conversation of, you know, what does Johnny Gaudreau make on the open market versus what does he maybe take to stay in Calgary? How much can the flames offer him? It's kind of complicated and, uh, it's been giving me a headache for most of the season trying to crunch the numbers on, on how much all of those guys are going to make. But more specifically, someone like Johnny Gaudreau, who has said he wants to stay. Um, the Flames say he's a high-priority player to make stay, but this is somebody who is going to earn his money um, because of how well he's playing. This is a player who's having the best season of his career. Um, he's a more complete hockey player this year. He is on pace for more points than he had in 2018-19. And again, he is better in all three zones than he was that year. So how much is that, is he going to, how much is he going to earn? I I really, 
have no idea what he's going to get that they can fit under the books while getting everything else done. Haley Salvian, our guest. I know um, before we let you go, I, I know you wrote about um, the potentially changing picture of the women's pro game as the PWHPA and PHF get set to meet with the NHL next week. What do you think yeah. happens in that meeting and where do you see this going from here? Yeah, you know, it's funny when that when that initial news kind of came out that there was going to be this meeting and, you know, that was uh, Jeff Merrick who reported it first. And then, you know, I got my sources to confirm that the meeting was happening next week with um, the NHL, the PWHPA and the PHF. These meetings have happened in the past. I think, um, you know, it happened when Danny Ryland was the commissioner of the NWHL and Brenda Andrus was the commissioner of the CWHL. Like, this is not the first time that all three sides have come to the table um, and obviously, because we're still having this conversation, um, you know, they haven't, those conversations, those meetings haven't led to the meaningful progress that a lot of people have wanted, um, whether it's because they couldn't come to an agreement or it wasn't possible or they just weren't great meetings. Um, so I want to temper expectations when, when people see that they're all coming to the table with the goal of them coming together to create the league everyone's wanted, um, because again, they've, they've had these conversations and these meetings before. Um, one of the things that I did hear from one of my sources is that, you know, barring some grandfather offer that nobody can say no to, um, the PWHPA is still very much full steam ahead with their plans, which has been their longstanding goal of creating a quote unquote, truly professional women's hockey league for all the best players. And that's always a controversial statement to make when I say truly professional or they say truly professional because, you know, there's fans of the PHF who believe that it is a pro league and that league has made commitments to be better. Um, they have, you know, new individual ownership and they've made a $25 million commitment over the next three years um, that will increase pay and include health benefits, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact remains there has never once <laughs> ever been a professional league that pays players a livable wage that incentivizes all the best players from around the world to play in it. And that is what the PWHPA is looking for. They don't want another PHF. They don't want another CWHL or NWHL. They want a league that pays players a livable wage that gets not just the Pulens and the Knights and the Deckers to come and play, um, but the Yeni Hirokoskis and the Alina Mueller's and the Petra Niemannens to come from Sweden and around the world to come and play in North America and have all the best players in the world in one place. And that's what they mean by truly pro. I don't mean that as an offensive thing to the PHF. It is objectively accurate that there's never been a league with every single player from, you know, the Olympics or the PHF, all the best players in the world have never been in one place. And that's their goal. Um, and they are not going to change that goal or change their plans of working towards that goal unless there is some, you know, unforeseen grandfather offer from the NHL in this meeting. Yeah, it's going to still take a lot, and I think uh, you know, more of the owners should be put on the NHL to, to, to really try and make this work and, and be helpful in that sense. Um, Haley, we really appreciate you uh, for joining us here and your time. Uh, thank you, and the great Daryl Sutter stories as well. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good one. There is uh, Haley Salvian joining us here on Canucks Central. Daryl Sutter seems like a, a gem. 
He's he's fun to cover, I'm sure, to have around. I mean, it's kind of like Boudreau, but, you know, the opposite. Boudreau yeah. just kind of tells you everything. And when, you know, whereas with yeah. Sutter, you read between the lines and he kind of sends you messages and riddles and all this sort of yeah. stuff, right? But, you know, I mean, I, I've grown to appreciate Daryl Sutter more mm-hmm. as time goes on, you know, um, as opposed to like, you know, at first I'm like, oh, this is just some, some cranky dude who's always just a, doesn't ask the people. And it's like, no, actually, you know what? It's, it's dry sense of humor. He, he means well by it. And he's kind of funny. And I don't know. I have a lot of time for Daryl Sutter and give the guy credit, man. He came in and I was skeptical to be honest. I'm like, okay, is Daryl going to be able to reach the new age NHL player? Right. You know how he wore on some guys in LA towards the end and you know how the league is shifting and getting younger. Is he going to be able to come into that flames locker room, which had a bunch of different personalities that weren't coming together and attitude problems and a bunch of different mm-hmm. things and he came in and i want to say he cracked the whip but he he set a standard and i think that's the new buzzword that we've been using this season not necessarily culture but what's the standard that you're setting that you expect to see from people from effort level from professionalism how you carry yourself and how you conduct business and it wasn't an easy go of it last year when he came in halfway through the season they righted the ship and got better but you really saw how it paid off this season for them it's uh, it's been unbelievable the transformation that they've gone under, and had another big win last night. They will uh, be visiting Rogers Arena tomorrow night to play your Vancouver Canucks. You'll hear it all on Sportsnet 650. Uh, coming up, uh, Alex Faust, Kings play-by-play for Fox Sports, will be joining us as all well, the LA Kings and Vancouver Canucks were heavily linked in a trade rumor today. We'll see what Alex feels about LA's preparations ahead of the deadline, just how willing they are to move some of their top-end prospects that they've been accumulating over the last few years. That's next on Canuck Central. Hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Um, we're going to chat with Alex Faust, Kings play-by-play voice for Fox Sports, coming up in a moment. After uh, 6 o'clock, it's Mailbag Friday. So many questions on the eve of the NHL trade deadline, or... The final Mailbag Friday ahead of NHL's trade deadline. I, You know what I'm kind of curious about, though, Sat? What kinds of questions we'll get once the deadline is passed? Because all of the trade hypotheticals are going to get thrown out the window. Don't you worry, my friend. There'll be questions <laughs> about what happens this offseason. And don't forget, draft. Yep. You, know, you know, one of the things that we haven't covered a lot because the Canucks have found themselves in a playoff race, big decisions at the deadline, new regime, is the draft. Yeah. The Canucks are going to have a first-round pick this year. Don't have a second. Don't have a second. We'll see if they can add another pick for the draft. But, you know, they got a good draft pick this year, most likely, especially if they don't make the playoffs. Who knows if they get some lottery luck or not or whatever. But, you know, we'll have a big focus on the draft as well because if this team has its way in the offseason too, they'll try to find some more draft picks and we'll see if they are able Like once the deadline comes and goes, if they get a couple extra draft picks, we'll have more draft talk. Yeah, there's going to be uh, quite a bit of draft talk uh, coming up as uh, 
Well, as it looks right now, the Canucks are going to be on the outside of the playoff picture looking in. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. Uh, he is the play-by-play voice for Fox Sports on the LA Kings. It's Alex Faust. Uh, thanks for this, Alex. I uh, heard you had a run-in with one of our teammates up here in Vancouver, Randeep Janda. Aha, yes. Oh, yeah, he was down in LA for a couple of days. Uh, great to see him and uh, great to finally meet because I'm, I'm a big fan of his work. So um, I'm glad that all worked out. Yeah, aren't we all? He's uh, he's all right. You don't have to like you know pump his tires too much because he's already got quite the ego. <laughs> okay, I won't pump his tires. <laughs> uh, it's Alex Faust joining us. So, uh, well, I mean, it's it's it, it is trade season, and uh, you know the rumor mill is kicking up, and uh, we we've been hearing a lot of links between the Canucks and L.A. Kings regarding uh, Connor Garland. Um, what do you think the Kings are up to? I mean, it's been uh it's been a really good season for them so far. Uh, do you think uh, Rob Blake and company are going to be busy ahead of Monday's deadline? Well, you guys are probably more plugged into the actual trade, you know, news and rumors and whatnot than I would be. Um, and I, I try to, you know, stay out of it more than anything else, lest mm-hmm. I get caught up in it. But, but I think you're you're onto something in the sense that, you know, the the Kings are looking at options more than anything else. Um, I got to be honest, I don't know what they are going to do. I don't even know if they're going to do anything. Mm-hmm. On, on trade deadline day, and here's why. The, given the place that the Kings are at right now, and you guys know, you know, having seen the, the transformation of this team over the last couple of years, it, it was you know solid rebuild uh, that they did over a good you know three year span, and they're still not out of it. They're ahead of schedule based on where they are in the standing, but they're not done with the plan. The plan has always been for this to be a bridge year into a team that could be a regular contender. So, you know, injuries have beset a lot of teams, and the Kings are included in that. But they've gotten a really good look at a lot of their players in the AHL, and they've gotten by with them. So if I'm looking at it, you know, just from, from you know, 10,000 feet, okay, do they need to make a move? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure that they're, any team would love goal scoring, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I'm just not convinced that the Kings need to do anything to change the long-term trajectory because it's still on track. Well, and, and I think that's going to be the fascinating thing about what they end up doing at the deadline. And, you know, as far as what we talk about in the media and stuff that comes out, and yeah, I mean, sure, they're doing due diligence. They'd love to, you know, improve the team. But the reports have kind of been out there that they don't want to give up more than what they gave up to um, acquire Victor Arvidsson this offseason. And, you know, obviously that makes it tougher for you to acquire the higher-end guys. But does that kind of mm-hmm. speak to mm-hmm. how they might be reluctant to part with a Faber, a Turcotte, or, or even a Brand Clark? Well, I think that's part of it, right? Because you don't want to sell the farm uh, figuratively, you know, for something that may give you a short-term return. I think, the like any GM, right, you want to reward your team for having a good season. I would almost view it this year for the Kings in a, in a weird way to you would be rewarding them by sticking with what got you here. They made they did all the business that they wanted to in the off season, right? They acquired Victor Arvidsson, they got Philip Deneau. Um, they got Alex Edler from Vancouver in a one-year deal. And, and let's be clear, he has been a, a big player for the team. You know, he's missed 30-plus games. Um, you know, the first half of the season, he was a real steadying presence there. So those things help lay the groundwork for where they are in the standings right now. If you are to reward this team, you, you could say, you guys have gotten us this far. We believe in you to take us there. We believe in what's in this room right now. That's a very valid option. Now, at the same time, 
you know, the Kings are, you know, struggling for goals. That, that's not a new problem. It's, it's a long-term proposition to try to fix that. Um, so, I, you know, it wouldn't shock me if they went out and got, you know, a, a middle six winger type player. But at, at the same time, based on the structure of this team and, and the fact that they're in second place and they have a cushion, it's a win-win situation. They could do nothing and come out of the trade deadline and and still look like winners. Well, it was an interesting bet that the the Kings made. You know, a kind of a quick rebuild, and hey, maybe by the time uh, we're ready to go, like we'll still have Kopitar and Doughty playing at a pretty high level. And both of those guys have responded this year. I know Doughty's had the injury troubles for this season, but Kopitar's been really good all year long, mm-hmm. and they they've they've got a good team again. And you know, this is uh, it's it feels like it's rejuvenated uh, Kopitar and Doughty to to have this team come along so quickly and give these guys you know another chance at contending for a cup. You know, I, I, Drew probably doesn't want to hear this from me of all people, but I've always felt like Drew plays a lot better on a good team, um, you know, on a bad team, or on a team that's that's struggling a bit, especially with with you know cast members that are rotating in and out. Um, I, I think there was in the last couple of years a tendency for him to overthink and overplay and try to do somebody else's job, uh, whereas he is elite at so many things that he doesn't have to worry about doing somebody else's job, um, and he shouldn't be. And, and finally, we're in a position where we have some depth behind him. And you know, and let's be frank, you know, the, the prospect pool wasn't far enough along, or we could plug in a guy from the American Hockey League and have him be steady enough to where Drew isn't playing extra minutes, isn't worried about what's around him as much. Uh, but you're spot on on Kopitar. You know, he does all the little things well. He, he's been in a bit of a dry spell point production-wise lately. But, you know, you'll take that trade any day for what he brings you as a 200-foot player. And I, I think in goal, too, you know, Jonathan Quick had a tremendous first half of the season, uh, maybe slowed up a little bit here of late. But, again, you have depth there in Cal Peterson, who, frankly, the conversation – is going to be fascinating in the next couple of months here. Um, you know, as, as this team inches closer towards the postseason, who's going to be in goal? I think that's a conversation that has yet to be had, uh, but it's coming, and we know it, it's coming. Yeah, no question about that. And, and one guy I wanted to ask you a little bit about is Quinton Byfield and, you know, mm-hmm. what he's kind of looked like since coming back into the lineup and him, him getting healthy again. I mean, he's an incredible talent. We know that second overall pick in 2020. How is he kind of progressing here trying to get his feet back after the big injury? You know, I think I think that part of it is fine. I think the the he has all his mobility back and I think he still trusts it which is important for any young player coming off a significant injury is he trusts his body to be able to withstand the rigors of an NHL game. I think where he's stuck a little bit in his role is he doesn't make a mistake. He, he doesn't, you know, cost the team. He's not committing bad turnovers. He's not making bad reads. He's, he's not getting ahead of himself, but he's also not stepping out of that comfort zone a little bit to make a play. And I think that'll be the next area of growth. I mean, it, he's 19 years of age. He probably should be in the AHL this year. If, if his development path, um, you know, were like a, a player who would have been eligible at that age to play in the AHL. Um, but, you know, he, he's been thrust into the, the NHL because he clearly made the opening night roster in the preseason. So, and there's no option to, to send him, him down. Uh, so, realistically, uh, he, he's in a, in a bind a little bit because he doesn't want to do the wrong thing. 
to where he's you know not in the lineup or not getting significant minutes. But at the same time, we want to see him uh, take that next step, and I think that'll come. It's it's a long term um, you know proposition with a guy like Byfield taking second overall. You're not you're not looking for production right away. I think folks in New York would tell you the same thing about what's happened with Alexi Lafreniere, or even in New Jersey with Jack Hughes, right? You know, first year that they're in the league, okay, you're like, okay, what makes this player special? I don't really see it. But now you're starting to see uh, more and more production from those guys. And I think the same will be true with Byfield in the end. Alex Faust, our guest. Um, yeah, this is a, it's a, it's a different team than it was, obviously, uh, during the, the, the cup runs. But it feels like Rob Blake's got a, a much different philosophy. It's not that the heavy L.A. Kings teams that we used to see. Whenever I watch the Kings, I'm like kind of taken aback by, by how fast they are. Of course, you know, they got the Edlers and, and, you know, some of the older players, Dustin Brown and Kopitar, maybe don't move as well as they used to. But it really feels like uh, the philosophy of the team is we're going to beat you with speed uh, where we can. And that, that feels like where and how Rob Blake really wants to build this thing. I think you're spot on, but I also think the league goes in cycles, right? It, I think Vancouver's caught in a place right now, too. You, you think about it where every team in the league, and Tampa went through this, remember, you know, okay, we got to score more goals. we got to have some more skill. And then when you get to the postseason, uh, well, we ran into a bigger, stronger team. Well, we need to get more size. I think the Kings are kind of on the, on the if, that, if you picture a wheel going round and round, we're on the part that's, uh, you know, on the speed and skill bit that we're trying to build up. But eventually they will need to get bigger. And especially on the back end, I, I think that's a, an area of need for this team that in the off season that, that they might try to improve upon. You know, everybody's been talking in, in the Pacific Division about where's Jacob Chickering going to go. And I know the Kings have been, you know, in, swinging around the rumor mill of being interested. Uh, but, you know, you're looking at that as, again, not something that needs to be taken care of immediately. Uh, so that's why I wouldn't be surprised if you know, they don't take a big swing at a player like that, even though, yes, Jacob would check a lot of boxes for this team. They do need to get bigger on the back end, but it's not a today problem. That's mm-hmm. a tomorrow problem when you're contending to go deep into the playoffs. This team, honestly, and I, I hate to frame it like this, the Kings would be happy to make the postseason because they're ahead of schedule. Of course, once you're there, you want to do all you can. You want to win around and go as deep as you can, but, uh, you know, just being honest with where they're at right now, I think the organization would chalk it up as a huge victory to be able to make the playoffs mm-hmm. in a year that's really year three, uh, three and a half of their full-on rebuild. Yeah. That's pretty good. No, I mean, it absolutely is, and they they seem to be on a really good track with so much talent, too, and I wanted to ask you about Alex Turcotte, because I remember him in that draft. He was picked fifth overall, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm a big fan of his game, uh, Alex, because I've seen him play, and especially in that draft, and that was a year with with the Canucks not being great, that we spent a lot of time mm-hmm. focusing in on the draft. How is mm-hmm. how has his progression gone? He was, you know, came in as, as the potential to be this elite-level two-way type of player, but obviously it's not easy doing that in the NHL right away. Well, I think also you've got to remember he only spent one year in college. I mm-hmm. think he's the type of player that maybe could have benefited from another year, but you never know, right? He signed. He literally signed his first pro contract the day the NHL shut down, March 11th, 2020. And it seems like he's had a black cloud over him ever since. Like he, he's been banged up with a couple injuries. 
uh, when he came up, he uh, I, I believe he was on on COVID protocol for a little. I could be wrong on that, but uh, like it seems like every time he's right been right on the cusp of making a big leap, something's happened to to push him one step back. Uh, so you know, part of it, I think he's you know he's still going through the the motions, going through the ropes as a, as a professional who's developing on a very good AHL team, I might add, that's chock full of other talented players. And, and I'll also look at it, too, where the Kings have been injured and called up a lot of players in the AHL lately. It hasn't been at the centerman position. It's been on the wing. It's been on the blue line. So he hasn't had a chance, really, other than for a cup of coffee earlier this season to show what he can do because they haven't really needed him in the lineup. Uh, again, I, I look at it as, that's not a today problem. That's a tomorrow problem, you know. And uh, from everything I've heard in Ontario, he's right on schedule. He plays a 200-foot game. He's not going to wow you with skill, but he can bring that occasionally. Uh, again, I think from a long-term perspective, the Kings are right on track with him. Alex, uh, we appreciate your time and your insights. Thanks for this today. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, it'll be a phenomenal playoff race down the stretch here. It's exciting stuff. Absolutely. Thanks. There is Alex Faust, a play-by-play for Fox Sports and the L.A. Kings. Uh, Bally Sports, I should say, and yeah. the L.A. Kings. So, um, some interesting things happening as we were chatting there with Alex. And one coming, one bit of news coming from Irfan Gafar, who joined the show yesterday. Uh, he of the fourth period. Tanner Pearson, a name that is coming up in trade discussions as the Canucks phones are ringing a little bit more often Mm -hmm. with the deadline approaching. We've talked about Tanner as somebody who has a no trade clause. We know the contract situation at three and a quarter for the next two years beyond this one. Uh, It is not a full no trade clause after this year. It becomes modified, but uh, Earth saying it sounds like if, Pearson was presented with an opportunity to join a contender. He would consider it to date. That hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and this is something we talked about with Tanner Pearson. He has a full no-trade clause this season that changes in the offseason. So if he's going to accept the trade, which is still unlikely depending on which team, it's going to be a very limited number of teams that he's going to accept the trade to, right? And which are those teams? Well, look at, to some degree, you can also look at where he's from, Ontario. I don't think he'd be against Toronto necessarily Mm -hmm. because of family ties and everything like that. I think he'd be fine with that. And then you look at three other teams. It probably wouldn't be too hard to figure out which of those contenders he would be interested to go to, right? So those type of teams. Maybe a return to the LA Kings? Potentially. They're looking for a middle six player, right? Mm -hmm. That's what they're looking for. Is that more realistic? If you're not getting what you want for a Garland, for instance, you take a lesser package for a Tanner Pearson, of course. It's more commensurate with the second round pick type. And whatever else. That they want to pay. And Pearson's been good, though. We talked about him yesterday. He's played well. And this is what we mentioned. He's played so well this year that he's back to being being an asset for the organization, mm-hmm. right? And even if you look at the contract and you don't think it's favorable, well, the way he's playing, he's worth it. And he does have a style that is conducive to teams who want to play down low and play heavy and really cycle and grind, right? He can play that style and be really good on a top six line. He's done so on a number of different occasions, right, throughout his career. So he's a guy that there is interest in, but it's still complicated at the deadline. But one team I wonder about is Toronto. Yeah. And uh, you wonder if uh, Toronto would be looking for a uh, Tanner Pearson. Um, 
as they uh, maybe just looking for a fourth liner, uh, really, and uh, potentially some help on D ahead of Monday. So not sure there's a fit there yet. Not quite, but I do know they're a team that has also liked Luke Shen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I think... The Canucks, I don't think, are just limited to doing one-for-ones or whatever. Like, I think they look at a number of different things. So, I mean, who knows uh, where this goes right now. And we'll see what happens at the deadline. Probably still unlikely Pearson goals anywhere this season. But uh, the fact he is open to waving to, say, a handful of teams, it does add another wrinkle to the trade deadline. It adds uh, one possibility for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, Final thing before we go. Uh, Kevin Woodley was on the People Show earlier today and mentions that it's not out of the realm of possibility that Thatcher Demko plays both this weekend for the Vancouver Canucks. And it seems as though he's... Well, it could really be that situation that the Canucks now feel they are just so much needing those results that we could see Thatcher Demko both Saturday and Sunday in net against Calgary and then Buffalo on Sunday night. I think if Woodley says that, there's a good chance of that being a possibility, a strong possibility. We'll see if it happens or not, but I don't think he's just saying that if he doesn't think that's possible, right? Um and I wonder how much of that of that is dictated on a couple of things, and maybe perhaps all of the above. One, the loss against Detroit, and how well Thatcher Demko played, and the need to win both these games on the weekend. Yeah. Like you got, like if you're if you're trying to stay in the playoff race, you got to win these two games on the weekend. And after that loss against Detroit, maybe there's more desperation to make sure that we don't lose a point, or we we, we give our team the best chance possible to win. So maybe Demko gets both games, and the other one being. If you are able to move Halak and there is some sort of interest, maybe you want to keep him from playing until the deadline comes and goes. Yeah, and that way uh, you don't risk the injury. I know people have made the uh, Vegas comparison. Uh, Woodley has told us specifically with Halak that you know he would waive his no-move clause for the right situation, but also another contender where he's going to likely play more. So... Again, a very short list of teams where that's actually a possibility. But I think that's kind of wild that Demko would play both Saturday and Sunday. I think it speaks to how uh, desperate the Canucks are after losing that game last night. Now, I do think, and they're not going to tell you this, obviously, and it didn't end up this way. But, yeah, that's one where you're looking at the, the schedule and you're saying... That's a game we should win and we need to win. Well, you got to make it up somewhere else now. You got to yeah. plan for a way to make that up. You have five back to backs. Yeah. And you have basically six losses left for the season. And even that, I mean, you know, you know, and the math actually on that, if you win 14 of the remaining games, you get to 95 points. Yeah. Right? And so that gets you 95. Is 95 good enough to get in? Yannick seems to think it's not going to be good enough, 95. Maybe it is higher. But it might be, right? But the point is, just to get to 95. There's so many teams like in this race that if one or two get hot, then that's where you're looking at. 95, 96 points for the bar. Well, and this is this is how thin the margins are here, right? And, and, and you know, how disappointed I was and we were by the performance the other night or last night. Because... 
it just sets you back so much. But here's the thing. Like, if you actually are able to win both these games on the weekend, you can breathe a little bit again. Yeah. Right? Like, this is how fine the margins are. Like, they're one point away. F- they're, they're one loss this weekend away from that seven-game uh, stretch after the deadline being absolutely devastating. Right? That That's, I mean, th- that's how small the margins are. Just look at the number of games you have left. It's 20 games. But, again... If they win 15 of those, yeah. I guess it's possible. But that's, that's a far better pace than they've been on all season. That's like playing 750 hockey. Yeah, it's way better than even what they've been under Bruce Boudreaux. 750 hockey. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you're at a point where you have to win you know, 14 or 15 of your last 20 games, that's like over 700 hockey. It's not impossible. It just it's, it becomes a lot harder. Especially uh, – and, and, and for as good as they've been under Boudreaux, they still have to play that well through the end of the season. It's uh, kind of crazy. Uh, the NHL trade deadline coverage is brought to you by Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Do your feet hurt? Talk to a fitting expert today at 11 Lower Mainland locations or online at kintec.net. The mailbag is next on Canuck Central.